sure. when you're told to just toe the line, it almost feels like someone has forgotten your humanity, that they're just asking you to cast aside yeah. your feelings and your, and your thinking on the topic and just do what you're told. You know, they, they forgot your individuality. Yeah. Meetings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 94. And on today's show, we are going to disagree and commit. I mean, we're going to talk about disagreeing and committing. Um, <laughs> I disagree. Let's not talk about this. Well, the decision has been made. And so we're going to do it. And I need you to get on board, Tim. Okay. All right. I'm on board. Unfortunately, Carol couldn't be with us tonight. She had something come up. So it's just the three guys. We will try to do her justice. And you want to explain your audio? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. My microphone just decided it's not going to work right now. So... I apologize. You're getting headphone microphone and hopefully Matt can make it sound like not in post. <laughs> Good luck, Matt. Okay. So as usual, let's start with our triumphs and fails and Ben, I'm coming to you first. I'm going to kick us off with a triumph. And that is that on Monday I was talking to my team and I had an idea for a feature that I wanted to add to the product. And it is now Thursday. So it's four days later and I have deployed not a 100% feature complete version of the thing I wanted to build, but definitely, I think, well past MVP to production and to users. And I have Amplitude Analytics attached to it and I can see people using it. So I just feel like, I don't know, I, I, I just get the little happy dance in my head when I can take an idea from pure conceptual and and turn it into reality and deploy it. And I made some demo videos and I had a demo video internally and a demo video that I made for public consumption. And I was just feeling very proud of myself today, which is good because I think no one else felt proud of me. So <laughs> back yourself. <laughs> Some, someone's got to do it. <laughs> did, did that internal video get any comments? Uh, I think I think I got like two thumbs up on the video. That was basically hey, it. That's better than zero. That's true. That's uh, a million times better than zero. <laughs> so anyway, it was just, it was just a good week, but it's a, it's a long week. I'm happy it's Thursday. I'm happy it's almost Friday and uh, I'm turning 42 this weekend. So Aww, sweet summer child. Just, uh, yeah. Get a little older, older <laughs> and wiser. The answer to life, the universe and everything. Yeah. So that's me. Tim, what do you got going on? So I, I got a follow-up from last week and a triumph for this week. So the follow-up from last week, I talked about how I kind of refactored and re-approached how I was dealing with, you know, we, we deal with payments and I'm making sure the payments are applied to the, the system of record and uh, just kind of fine-tuned it the rest of the week and it's working fantastic. So it's just, it just, I don't, I'm kicking myself that I didn't think about this sooner because th this really was the way I should have done it to begin with. You know, it's, the process takes, you know, 34 milliseconds versus, you know, sometimes it could take, you know, 10 seconds to run. So, Heck and doing yeah. that over thousands and thousands of payments is, is quite impactful. And it's a lot more accurate. I got a lot of false positives on the other one and that just, it just created noise. So having that is great. But my triumph for this week is I won't be here next week or the week <laughs> after. Where are you going, Tim? <laughs> I won't be here. I will be in London next week. So Thursday, I'm flying out, heading to London for a work conference that's from Sunday night until Friday night. And I, I get to hang out with my number one hater, Adam Cameron. Oh, yeah. Get to have some beers with him in London because he's been way too, he's been way too complimentary to late complimentary to me lately. He's been said some really nice things. And so I got to go over there and just kind of ruffle his feathers so I can really get that hate to feed <laughs> off of. Get him what for? Yeah, give him well for it. Hopefully I can see uh, Matt Gifford as well. I sent him a message, although I know he doesn't live in London and I don't know how far, wherever he lives, I think St. Albans is. But yeah, I like to see all my my London peeps that listen to the show and hang out and have a beer with them. So I'm looking forward to that. Are you guys going to go ride the line ride? I have no plans. Well, I'm going to do some food stuff. I mean, like, what you is know, the line ride? <laughs> what is the line ride? Oh my God. It was incredibly insensitive of me to our, our English listeners at the Queen past. Oh, no, no. And oh, right, the, right, right. the line that's like four and a half miles long as we're no. recording this. She'll, hey. she'll be buried by that time. I checked. I'm like, I do not want to be there while all this is going on. All that stuff should be done by the time I get there on Thursday. They put her in the ground on Monday, I think. 
apparently they're planning for that line to get at least uh, as much as 10 miles long. They're yeah. Preparing. I thought I saw somewhere that they would they would like just cut it off if it got five miles long. That's oh, it. You can't get in line. Nobody else. It's like a, it's like eleven hours. Yeah, line right now. To just, you're just standing there in line in the in the wonderful British weather. So, well, very cool, man. Say hi to everybody. Yeah, I will. How about you? Oh, Carol's not here. So sorry, Carol. Hope everything's okay. Uh, Adam, how about you? So I guess I'm going to call this a triumph. I have been doing the SOC two policy review. I am down to the point where I have one policy remaining. We did our risk assessment, which is another big like, you know, discovery of all of the things that you have to figure out and questions you have to answer. And so at this point, now the, the remaining 99% of the work can begin. So I'm calling that a triumph. This has just been a, a monkey on my back for the longest time now. I don't even know how many weeks I've been talking about this on the show. And it feels like, it feels you know, like four. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, just hand cranking the the can opener here and we've finally gotten the can of worms open it's like okay now i have to eat this <laughs> have the sock auditors come back with any feedback yet oh we don't we haven't even engaged any auditors yet this yeah, is all good luck, with, readiness. good luck with that that's even more yeah. painful so we i've done some interviewing of auditors and i think we know who we're going to go with and they will actually participate in the readiness phase of our of our audit project which is like it's a it's a scrimmage right so that we go through the process of gathering all of our details and making sure we have all our ducks in a row and they go, okay, yeah, this looks like it should pass. And then we go, okay, so game on, right? The, the, the review period begins and the, this process we're doing a type two SOC two, which is not just a point in time. Type one is a point in time. Like, okay, at the moment that you submitted all this information, the information was good and compliant. Type two is for a period of time, let's, you know, nine months or a year or whatever, you were not only compliant, but like the things that are supposed to evolve over time, you actually did those things, you remained compliant. And so the the company that I think that we're going to engage with will help us make sure that we have our ducks lined up correctly so that when we do start the, the, the real review period, it won't be like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'd start over because we missed this and we missed that and this was wrong, whatever, but. It's a, it's just a gigantic monkey on my back and I hate it, but it's gotta be done. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad we have a GRC group that handles all that for us or shields us from it. We still have to answer questions from internal, but yeah, yeah they deal with all that. We are not big enough to have a department of people who enjoy that type of work. So, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of on a unre unrelated, but maybe slightly tangential topic because you work with customer data. And you house mm -hmm. that data to some degree. Do you ever have universities that send you a security questionnaire that's like 200 oh pages long? Oh my God. Long? Excel is the bane of our existence in that <laughs> regard. You know, they, they send you these spreadsheets with, with a questionnaire and it's like, okay, you know, row number 45 is this question. And you're supposed to like, what, pasting your policy in column C? Like, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a thousand words long or something. It's like, really? Yeah. But yeah. That is kind of the benefit of like a PCI audit or a SOC 2 audit. You can just say, all your questions are answered in here. You find yeah, them. We're not, you know, because you got so many customers and all of them have a different format for those questions. Like, I'm not answering all these. Here's our SOC 2. You find out the answers from there. If you don't understand something, let me know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the primary motivator for us going through yeah. this process. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was just going to say, so this might make your life a lot easier with customers. Not so much my life, but our business is like Steve's yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, so, Steve's life. You're so, taking oh, one for the team now so that Steve can be happier later. Absolutely. What kills me, though, is like the really big companies are like, no, no, you need to fill out ours. Yeah, yeah. we've had like, that. Okay. Too. <laughs> I, I'm sure that will happen. I'm glad that it doesn't land on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Until it does. Yeah. And then, you know, a little a minor personal triumph that I wanted to tack on here. So we adopted a dog, Lucy, I mentioned a few weeks back. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, and you and Ben both have dogs named Lucy? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, that was entirely yeah. unintentional. So we adopted a dog, uh, maybe, I guess it was like uh, maybe five or six weeks ago. And her name was Lucy, like at the shelter, right? You know, they all have names when you get them. I, I have never in my life gotten a pet and not renamed it until this one. But, you know, mm. she's two years old. I don't know how long and how many people have been calling her Lucy. So, and we liked it. You know, we, we considered changing the name, but we just felt like it fit her. So we kept it. We very briefly considered spelling Lucy with two E's on the end to, I guess, pay homage to Lucy, the software product. Oh, uh, sir, so uh, you're, 
you're warming my heart. <laughs> but then I remembered I don't like CFML. And so we decided <laughs> that was like a deal breaker. Well, so we, we, we adopted her several weeks back. And as it turns out, we didn't find out until like we're basically signing the paperwork and signing the check to pay for her that she had heartworm, which I've never had a dog that had heartworm before. I just always knew it was something to be avoided and always mm -hmm. treated my dogs to to avoid it in the first place. And I had no idea how much of a big deal it is and, and how difficult the care for it is. I mean, the things that you have to do, the like the medical treatment is not hard. She gets a couple of shots and basically she's on bed rest. For, but how do you keep a dog on bed rest? <laughs> it's not easy, let me tell you. I mean, she's a she's a lab mix and and if we let her, she would have lots of energy. So in an in an attempt to not have to keep her in her crate all day and all night, I have spent the last month working from my sofa with her tied up on like a six or eight foot leash to the coffee table so that I can keep an eye on her. Occasionally I've had her here in my office with me, but she seems to like it and, and relax better down at the coffee table. So I've spent the last month working from. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't just want to drug her as much as I would, you know, if I were in her position, I'd be like, yeah, knock me out and wake me up when it's over. But at the same time, like that, that's no way to live. And she's a very smart, very sweet dog. And we just try to give her lots of attention and love and, and discourage any zoomies and yeah. all that mm -hmm. stuff. Anyway, we're at, we're at the halfway point. So with this treatment, you know, you, they get a shot and then they have to be basically on bed rest, no exercise. I can't even like walk her around the circle that we live on. She's like, we just don't oh, take her wow. out of our yard. And that's for a month which we just finished and she just got another shot tonight and then we'll take her again tomorrow for, you know, shots two and three. And then it's another four to six weeks of like bed rest. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you know, we, we can get into the details of it. I was kind of going to talk about it in the uh, after show. So maybe I'll save some of it for that, but it's taking a toll on me personally, just because I'm the one that works from home. So a lot of it yeah. falls on yeah. me, but yeah, I'm, yeah. we're halfway through, so I'm, I'm yeah. excited about that. I'm glad yeah. they have, we give our dogs the, they have a vaccine for that, mm -hmm. but you just got to keep it up and it's so worth it. Cause yeah, you don't want to have to go through that hassle. Yep. Heart card. Yeah. I didn't even know what heartworm was. I mean, Lucy takes the, she takes a flea and tick medication and she takes the heart, the heart guard also, but mm -hmm. I just do that because that's what the vet said to do. I didn't really know what it even was. So that's, yeah, a, that I, sucks. I made it 40 years of my life without really understanding how bad it is to try and get rid of them. Like, you know, it, a worm in your heart sounds pretty bad. It does sound yeah, bad. Yeah. But, you know, most things in life, I feel like you can, you, we, we get the impression that uh, you just take a pill or you just get an injection and that fixes that. And that's true, but it's also not true. Like there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about working in, in the, the technology industry. You guys think so? I think let's do yeah, it. I don't know. We, let's let's convert this to workingdogs.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, I disagree. Okay. And I have all okay. the power here, so we're going with my thing. <laughs> all right, benevolent dictator. I have you guys gave me a microphone, so I'm gonna use it. So actually, Ben, this was your idea. Do you wanna introduce it? Yeah, sure. So uh, a a couple of weeks or months ago, we did a topic on strong opinions loosely held. So I've had that kind of simmering in the back of my mind. And then it was a potluck episode, right? Was it a potluck? Maybe, yeah. yeah. And and then I believe it was last episode or the episode before that. I had mentioned about some regrets at work. Obviously, we've had a huge reorg at work as as a bunch of tech companies have had lately. And in that episode, I was talking about that my biggest regrets at work have been seeing someone put forth an idea, feeling very strongly that that idea was not a good one to proceed with but not really putting my foot down or not voicing my dissent strong enough. And then the company went ahead with it. And, and some of those decisions turned out to be good ones. So this is obviously, I'm not saying I'm, I'm always right here, but some of those decisions turned out to be really terrible ones and, and terrible ones that we've continued to pay for for a long time. And so I've had all this sort of percolating in the back of my head. And I was listening to a podcast maybe just yesterday or the day before, and someone brought up this idea of disagree and commit. And this is something that we've talked about at work every now and then where someone, th there'll be some decision that the company has to make either about a, a product that we want to develop or, or the direction that the company is going to go in. 
and there's some dissent. There's people who want to do this, some people want to do the other thing. And at one point, the company makes a decision to proceed with a path. And the disagree and commit concept is that it's okay to have discord and dissent prior to a decision. But once a decision gets made, everybody just has to commit to it and get on board and start towing the company line. And I'm a very emotional person. I'm very emotionally attached to my code. I'm very emotionally attached to my decisions on the, on the strong opinions loosely held. I talked about how it, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would I have strong opinions if I didn't want to hold them strongly? And, and this is kind of that same mentality, but applied to business that if I disagree with something and then I'm asked to just go along with the opposite, I feel like I'm so emotional that I'm not just going to automatically become enthused about the thing I'm told to do. I'm, I'm going to disengage a bit. And I actually looked up, I Googled for the, the, the phrase, the opposite. I was, I, I, I Googled for the phrase, the opposite of disagreement is indifference. And I came up with this Ellie Wiesel quote, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. And, and clearly he has some strong opinions about the opposite of <laughs> affirmation. <laughs> and, and to me, yeah. I feel like a little bit the same way, that the opposite of disagreement isn't agreement for me. The opposite of disagreement becomes indifference. And if I'm going to have people building a product, I, I don't want people who are indifferent. I want people who are excited and understand the value proposition and are totally on board because they're going to be the people who I think have the right instincts and the right motivations. And, I, and I, the idea of just pulling people along for the ride doesn't, doesn't seem right. And so, so these are all my, my rough emotions that I'm having right now. And that's why mm -hmm. I thought it might be interesting to talk about. Well, first off, Ben, your heart matters. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but I disagree. <laughs> I really like this topic. At first, I thought I was going to be like, okay, you know, I'll sit through that one. You guys can chat about whatever you want. And, and uh, you know, it, it didn't seem like there was much to talk about there. But the more I thought about it, the more I do like this topic. Because initially, my mind went to the idea of people disagreeing with me. Just <laughs> like, okay, you know, if they're going to disagree, that's fine. And, and, you know, if they're a team player, then they'll get on, on board with what the team is doing and, and we'll do our jobs. But then, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, okay, well, there, there have been times this week that we've had discussions as a team and people are like, I don't agree with that or I wish we could do it this way, for example all this SOC 2 policy stuff. We just, I, I just had to go through and officially define what our privacy policy is. We, we've had a privacy policy in the past, but given the opportunity to review, uh, you know, an enterprise template for a privacy policy, we kind of compared it to ours. And I brought up some things where it's like, okay, well, you know, technically we don't do any advertising. So, you know, there was something about, you know, we share your information with analytics and advertising and social media and this and that. And so I was like, you know, kind of brought that that paragraph into the team. And I was like, here's what I think we should do to this. And other people were like, you know, uh, we, we have some people on the team that have very strong feelings about privacy. You know, we have one guy who switched to Linux, not, be, not necessarily because of privacy, but I think that it probably influenced his decision. Mm -hmm. You know, he just wants to be in control once as vanilla. And I, I guess I have to imagine to some extent, you know, Apple and, and Microsoft are collecting and using our data and, mm -hmm. We agree to that in the, the terms and conditions and all that that we don't read and click okay to. But cookies, yeah, all of them. Let's take them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh my God, cookies. So I, I like this topic a lot and I disagree with you, Ben, but I think in a good way, right? Like I think that it's a healthy exercise, right? So as a team, especially on a large team, which, you know, I know you're not currently on uh, as your day-to-day -day work, you're not on a large team. In case anybody hadn't heard, but you know, as a, as a team, and and you can kind of think of a company as a the largest team or largest level of that team, the you know, eventually there's going to be something that you disagree with, and that's just the the direction of the team. And if you're a team player, then you do it. And and my first thought about this was like, you know, let's take it to a, a sport, right? So if if you want to run one play and somebody else wants to run another play, you know, the coach decides which one's the best play, and that's the one you run, and Okay, I disagree, but 
I'm going to run the play that I'm supposed to run, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're Tom uh, Brady, he just does all the calls. <laughs> then you deflate the football and... <laughs> yeah, he just coaches the whole thing. Well, here's... Let, let me throw something out here because there have been times at work where a designer has come up with an idea for a feature and they'll they'll present it, you know, via email or via Slack message initially. And I will have a strong negative reaction to it, thinking this is not a good idea. This isn't designed well. I don't even understand why this would be helpful. And then we'll get on a Zoom call and they'll walk through it and they'll get to explain, here's why we're doing this and here's why we're doing that. And this is the value add and here's the long-term proposition. And when they when they give me the details, something will click for me. I'll be like, oh, okay. I wasn't thinking about it the same Mm -hmm. way. I totally get what you're saying now. And, and I wonder if some of the disagreement comes from someone just didn't explain it clearly or they didn't take the time 100%. To, to, to relay the value. And so I think there's definitely an opportunity where we can get rid of some of the disagreement by just being better about voicing why this thing is worth doing. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, and I think you kind of hit the heart of it there. I think it, it is a communication issue. You, you said, I didn't understand. I think that was key. You didn't understand. And they, they gave you more information than you understood. Sometimes the information that you need, you might not be privy to. Right. So for instance, it's, it's funny. We we're talking about this today. I saw Ben Farrell, Farrell, mm-hmm. Ben Farrell. He works for Adobe. So he posted, he, a friend of mine, he posted, after seven years, I should realize by now that when things stop making sense at work and executive leadership seems crazy with weird decisions, yep, we're making a secret <laughs> acquisition. And today, Adobe announced they are spending $20 billion in cash and stock to acquire Figma. And so, I mean, and that is, I mean, sometimes, sometimes leadership can't tell you all the details. Right. That's yeah. true. There's stuff they need you to do. There's stuff they need you to do to make something happen that is a company goal but they can't tell you why there's privacy issues. There's, you know, particularly when it's buying another company or, or, you know, some sort of, you know, stock kind of thing. They can't tell you they're just do it. And you're like, I don't understand. And they're like, we don't care if you don't understand, <laughs> just do it. Right. <laughs> Cause we're going to merge with this other company, be bigger and, you know, hope, although actually Adobe stock went down today, but <laughs> it should go back. It should go up after this. <laughs> so, yeah, so you know, sometimes there's just you're not privy to the information that, that's that's being given, or like you said, it was just poorly communicated that the use case was not fully understood. I, I I think those are totally valid occurrences. Those things do happen, but I don't think that they explain all of them. Uh, agreed. So 100%. for example, for example, we had somebody on the team when we were doing this privacy policy stuff who, you know, like I said, there's a bunch of people on the team that are very privacy focused in the way that we treat our home networks and devices and what we, you know, what we will and won't do online, that sort of thing. When we were discussing this, they decided to like, I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, what if we, what if we took a moral stand and said, not only do we not give your information to advertisers and and social media companies and all this stuff and analytics, but we want, so like our product, we allow our customers to skin the product, right? They can add their own CSS and JavaScript and, and stuff. And as a result, they can throw in their own Google Analytics or mm-hmm. their own advertising stuff. Not that any of them are, are putting ads on the pages, but in theory, it's possible. Mm-hmm. So we have to represent that in our privacy policy. And the the idea that this person was throwing out was like, what if we just said we won't allow it? Like we're taking a moral stand. We don't believe that these are good things for the health of the internet at large. And so we won't do this with your information and we won't let any of our customers do it with your information. And I think that would be an awesome thing, but ultimately we're not going to turn away potential customers because, uh, you know, because of that moral stand. If we did that, I think that could you even stop them? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, it's shaky ground, right? Like technically is it possible? Probably. Even if you're going to make it a, a manual, you know, somebody's job every morning is to review the latest changes to website skins and see, oh, okay, did they add any JavaScript files? Let's go look at what that is. But now you have an adversarial conflict with your customers, which is not good. Right. And these are the people that you're trying to get to give you more money and (laughs) all this stuff. So, you know, it was like, you're not wrong. 
but this is just sort of the cost of doing business. Yeah. Like we're, we are going to do our part to make sure it's done intelligently and securely and, and not in a terrible for humanity type of way, but some of it is necessary. And mm -hmm. so that I think is a prime example of disagreement commit, right? Like we're going to have moral differences on what we think should be the path forward. The company has to make a decision and then we just all have to live with that and abide by it. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, I don't know how other companies run. I've been the same company effectively for 22 years now. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we have an annual strategy session where the leaders, you know, and so we have C-level and director level. We have everyone kind of come together. We try to do it in like an offsite where we spend like three or four days, you know, rent a house somewhere in Florida or somewhere and just have a, all right, what is our strategy for next year? And everyone can like give their input like into what we're doing. And sometimes, you know, I don't agree with necessarily the direction we're going with, but I've had my say, mm -hmm. right? I've had my say and I like, okay, I don't think this is going to work. And there's been several decisions that, that have happened that I'm like, I'm a hundred percent sure this is not going to work. And you're going to come around to my, to what I suggest. And I think that comes with maturity. Like when I was younger, I would like die on that hill. Mm -hmm. And it, I would get beat down, right? I would just die on the hill. I'd make the point. And as I got older, I realized, you know what? If if I'm right, I'm right. And eventually it will come back around to my to my opinion. And they will see that what I was advocating was right. And if not, I was wrong. So dying on that hill is really a martyr's game. And I don't want to play that because it just makes you makes people see you as a hindrance to progress. And sometimes progress goes up backwards mm -hmm. so when it goes backwards they're like all right let's try something else and they come around to your idea of course by that time it's their idea <laughs> <laughs> but i just i just i just feel like king george from hamilton i'm singing you'll be back like I before i will fight the fight and win the war and yeah <laughs> i mean i just had just yesterday, I had an example, something I fought tooth and nail. I'm like, listen, this is not going to work. And I had someone from multiple levels up in the corporation go, yeah, so we tried this, you know, four years ago and it totally didn't work. And now we're doing this. And this is exactly what I said we should do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just go, that's a great idea. <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that. I wish I would have thought of that, boss. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I disagreed. I let it known. I'm like, this, I don't think we should do this. We should, for these reasons, and exactly those reasons proved to be true. And now, but I committed. I didn't fight it. So for like five years, these past five years, I've been living on these conditions of having to live under this bad decision, which at the time they, they felt it would be good. So I'm like, all right, we're experimenting. They experimented. It didn't work. And now they're going back to exactly the thing that I said should work. So, but unless they're listening to this podcast, they're not going to, there's no come up and so I'm not saying I told you so. I'm like, this is a great idea. This is definitely what we should do because you know what? It is. <laughs> it was five years ago and it is today. Absolutely. It's interesting that actually all three of us here on the call have been with our respective companies for quite a long time. I know Adam mm -hmm. and I have been like a decade. You said what, 22 years you've been at, at 22 years. Yeah. Bananas. And, and, I, and I think maybe part of why I get so emotional about this is because I have been at the company for so long. So what that means is I end up having to maintain the decisions that someone else made that I didn't, that I didn't mm -hmm. agree with. And so I think there is a certain amount of bitterness about that, that, that every day there is areas of the application, for example, that I want to be able to improve, but I find it very challenging because of technology decisions that were made years ago that I didn't agree with then and I don't agree with now. And it's it just makes me angry. And I, and I, so I had mentioned this idea on Twitter and, and one or two people were like, more or less to paraphrase, were like, you just have to be professional. Like you can't do a crap job because you don't agree with the things that are being done. And, and I don't want to paint right. the picture that I would purposefully do something subpar because I wasn't enthused about it or sabotage. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to, let's take that off the table immediately. But right. I will say that I think 
I would just naturally be more effective and, and be more productive and maybe even make better decisions when I do fully agree with the thing that I'm building as opposed mm. to, I, I just feel like some part of me, I don't know how consequential it would be, but some part of me is going to be turned off when I'm doing work that I don't agree with. Well, I'll tell yeah. you, for personal experience, during a time period after the decision that I talked about like five, six years ago that was made that I totally didn't agree with, I did not go above and beyond. Right, I left exactly. at five o'clock every day. I didn't do anything extra. There was no side projects that I would, skunk works that I'd try to throw out. They, they, were, getting, they were getting a paycheck from me. That was, that was it. I was like, nope. And then when they started like to say, all right, you know, make this your baby again. And here's, here's the plan for you to take over stuff. I'm like, all right, now I'm back in. Now I'm back in the game. Now, now I'm building new stuff, creating new stuff, working, you know, coming up with new ideas, contributing them. But before that, it was like, before that, like three, for three to four years, like, no, you're just getting my nine to five and that's it. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Like if you can't get people, getting people, getting buy-in is hard. Getting buy-in from from parties are, is really hard because if you don't get buy-in from everyone, there's always going to be friction in the process. Yeah, and that is the hardest skill to do. That that above and beyond being a good coder and a good manager, that has been the skill I've worked, I've wanted to improve the most is getting buy-in from all the stakeholders. If you can do that, you are will be successful in business. If you can get buy-in from all the stakeholders, that is the hardest thing in the world because every person's different. Every agenda is different. I mean, that's pretty much what, uh, what is it? How to win friends and influence people or something. Which I, which I definitely read, but yeah. it's still really hard to yeah, implement. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's just some people you're like, I don't care if you, it's like, I, I don't care if you agree. And then they wind up being that spoke in your wheel. <laughs> well, and also yep. the, there's a, there's the idea that burnout, People don't burn out from the amount of work they have to do. They burn out because they feel powerless. And I feel yeah. like mm-hmm. if I'm working on something I don't believe in, I'm much more likely to feel burnt out. Oh my God. That, like you guys keep talking about little things and I'm like, I want to, I want to get my turn to <laughs> talk. Go, here go. Go, Adam, Sorry. Go. <laughs> no, it, it's great. There's just so many things that you, you've mentioned. I want to touch on all of them. So like the burnout thing, right? The closest I've ever come to burnout, like true Carol level, you know, like <laughs> almost set my house on fire burnout would be I for, for years. So I've been with this company for 10 years at probably around the four year mark. I, I started to see this pattern of like the way we've been doing things is not going to scale as we continue to grow the business. And if we don't make significant investments in improving our ability to take on more customers, our day-to-day lives are going to get worse and worse, like exponentially compared to the number of customers that we bring on. And I saw this list like freight train coming at us <laughs> and mm-hmm. Steve agreed with me, but his opinion was that we weren't there yet. It wasn't time to make that investment yet. And so this was something that he and I butted heads on, not to the point of like, you know, uh, yelling at each other, but it was just like constant disagreement. And we were very civil and respectful about it, but it was like, I really wish I could do this. And he's like, well, I need you to go do that. And like, you know, like, so like what you're saying, because I could see these problems coming and I could see how much it already was affecting us and it was only going to get worse. I was starting to burn out from that. Now, or recently we've started to make these moves to become multi-tenant, to make ourselves more scalable. And that has been just this huge source of motivation and, and interest in my work and it makes me excited to show up in the morning and and to solve hard problems and like it's just i exactly what you were talking about ben like when when our interests and our strategies are aligned it's like a magic spell right right? it just makes it's good for the business yeah it's good for the business and it's good for the employee and everybody is growing and and succeeding and doing better I, if I can side rant for one second, sorry. Uh, we don't do that no, here. Never side rants. No, no side. <laughs> we quests. do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I've, as I've mentioned many times before, I'm on the legacy platform. Yada yada yada. In the in the modern platform at work, it's very very heavy in the microservices direction. That's a whole other conversation about this very topic unto itself. But at one point, 
a lot of what we've done on the modern platform is we've had to create feature parity with what was on the old platform. And one of the things that you could do on the old platform was essentially tag screens with a status. So it, like a Kanban board status, you know, to do in progress, needs review, approve, that kind of stuff. And they were going to recreate this on the modern platform. And someone who was working here at the time, who's no longer working here, said, hey, instead of just doing that for screens, we should make it a generalized service so that anything in the platform could be tagged with anything. And at the time, I was like, but not everything is tagged with everything. Just screens are tagged. Why don't we solve that problem first and then worry about generalizing it in the future if we ever have to? And I felt very... You solved a problem that isn't yeah, there yeah. yet. Yeah, I felt very strong about it. But I was on the legacy platform. So like... I kind of didn't care. And I hate to say that because it's still the company I work at. But I was like, you guys can make whatever decisions you want. You have to live with it. And so they made the decision to make a very generalized service. So now it's yet another service that has to be maintained. All the people who have worked on that service are no longer working here. And, and now there's teams that have to maintain this that don't know anything about it. And, and it costs money to have additional services. And again, it's like one of those things where I, I just wish I had disagreed harder and louder to some extent. And now it would be easier for those people to maintain. That's not a huge value add to the conversation. It just like, it just popped into my no, head. It is. I, I think it's exemplary of, of the idea that, I mean, they came around eventually to realize you were right, right? So, well, but the, I, mean, the, I think, I still think I'm right, but now there's still this generalized service that someone has to maintain. And it, and it's. Yeah. But, but I mean, you have to think of yourself, right? I mean, so like I said earlier, your heart matters. <laughs> so had you stood on, you died on that hill, sometimes doing that can cost you your job. Yeah. Well, let's just be honest. People are like, if someone is just being, you know, if, if, if you have like a group momentum and they're saying, no, this is the way to go, but Ben doesn't agree and he keeps, keeps fighting and he won't shut up and he won't eventually just got to relent or you realize, you know, your head could be on the chopping block. So Yo. I mean that that's been my experience in life. It's like sometimes it's like, all right, listen, I made my I I had my say. I don't have my way, but that's okay. It, it, it actually <laughs> Dude, that was a haiku. <laughs> yeah. It, it actually happened to me. No, I didn't get fired or anything, but when we were very early on in the no? monolith versus microservices conversation and I was very very heavily in the monolith group. Yeah, surprise. surprise. And I kept talking about it in the various Slack channels and like, oh, monoliths make this so much easier. And, and like, look how fast I was able to get a lot of hate. And, and the, the CTO at the time pulled me aside and was like, we've decided to use microservices. You can no longer talk about the benefits of monoliths in public channels anymore. He said, it's not, he said, it's just not good for team morale. So you're not allowed to do that. And what did you do? I, I stayed quiet for a while until, you know, enough to the people, enough of the people went to work on the microservices. And then I slowly started to merge some of my microservices back into the monolith <laughs> for fun and profit. <laughs> but, you know, I will, I will again caveat that I have not always been right. There are things that I have disagreed with that have turned out to be the right decision anyway. And, and, you know, so it, it it's not like my sense of disagreement is a litmus test in and of itself in the accuracy of a mm -hmm. decision. The what would Ben do? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just like no. a very trivial example. So when we first built the app, all of the avatars were square. And then Basecamp, mm. I think Basecamp was like the first company that started to use circular avatars. And I remember Clark coming to me and him be like, oh, look at these circular avatars. They're so beautiful. They're so organic. They just fit so much better in the UIs. And I was like, no, circular avatars are gross. That's disgusting. Like everybody loves square avatars. And now, you know, fast forward 10 years, everybody was basically using circular avatars yeah. and, and they look really nice. And I was definitely very wrong about that. Not that they're always necessary. So like Slack, for example, right. And, and Discord, they all use square avatars. So it's, it's still design contextual specific, but I was definitely wrong. I think Discord is circular. Are they circular? All right, I, I got to go look. Yes. So oh, I see. Black uses rounded rounded squares. The the borders are there's a border radius, but it's still mostly square. And and Discord well, is circular. I got to double check Slack. Yeah, Discord. Am I totally wrong? No, Slack uses squares. And then so but Discord uses rounded squares. ones, but then but then it looks like 
Oh, oh when you go into a well, team, a though, the team avatar is, is like a rounded rectangle. Anyway, not to get <laughs> sidetracked. Welcome back to the Slack Avatar <laughs> podcast. I, I, I only brought that up to underscore the fact that I'm I'm wrong a lot of the time. I don't want to say the majority of the time, but you know, sure. Enough of the yeah, time. I mean, and <laughs> right. And going back to something that Tim said, you know, like sometimes it's important to die on that hill and take a stand. And like we were having a discussion, I'm pretty sure it was today in our podcast Discord with some of the listeners about password complexity, right? And yep. I I just said like I will let you fire me before I implement a password form that allows a one character password. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I, I think one of the listeners yeah. said like, you know, they had a, a, a VIP at the company that was like, I just want my password to be one. Let it be the number one. And <laughs> like, no, you can fire me no. or you can have a better password. Those are your choices. <laughs> like I, yeah. I am of the personal opinion and, and my professional opinion is no password should be less than 30 characters long, period. <laughs> we, have a, we have a guy at work, actually one of my coworkers, Sean, he, his, one of his soapboxes, he has many soapboxes, but one of his soapboxes is password complexity. And he's like, mm -hmm. he's like, NIST doesn't even want you to have complex passwords. And they're like the, the, the people who outline <laughs> the standards. They're like, why do you have to have yeah. a number in your password? That is, this, you're like 1995 is gone. Uh, you're talking about like the need for it to be have a, a uppercase and yeah, a lowercase yeah, yeah, character yeah. and a number and yeah it should be a phrase right it should be like dice words basically right. i think yeah. is sort of the best best available option right now yeah. while we're on the subject of like authority proving a point right here's one of my personal pet peeves and has absolutely nothing to do with code so sorry for the aside but hand dryers in bathrooms that like blow hot air on your hands yeah. <laughs> are the devil, right? Like, first of all, like 20 years ago, maybe not 20 years ago, but a long time ago, Mythbusters proved that they are less yep, sanitary than paper towels. Really? They're they, worse they just, for the environment. Yeah, what? absolutely. They're worse for the environment. All the electricity that they burn to... They to just spread streptococcus all over what? the bathroom. Like, just yeah, go... Yeah. All, all those germs that are on your hand when you wash your hands, like all the... You know, there's, it's still wet. There's still a little bit there. It's just blown all over the place. Yep, or right actually, what's worse, what's worse is that the average person doesn't actually like, you know, do the full like COVID hand wash, wash thing. Hand, yeah, they just yeah. kind of run their hands under the water real quick. So now you've got germs that are like, <laughs> you know, aerosolized and, and in mm -hmm. liquid and let's just throw those under the dryer. And so yeah. spreading it all over. So here's, here's the authority figure. When have you ever gone to the hospital or the doctor's office and used a hand air dryer, right? They always have paper towels, yeah. mm -hmm. every single one of them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And yet, you know, all of the, the companies selling the hand dryers and, and, you know, the companies putting them up have signs like, well, it's better for the environment. Yeah. And, you know, and no, it's, it's, it's better for the cleaning people because they don't have to change the wastebasket <laughs> so often. Yeah. Well, the, the, anyway, soapbox well, just say the, <laughs> put the away. Most, I, I agree with you. I never use those things. I'm like, if there's paper towels and that, I'm like, I'm using paper, paper towels. towels. Yep. The most ironic thing is that at the, the Planet Fitness that I go to, you walk into the bathroom and they have the hand dryer and on it, they have a sign that says, you know, a thousand tons of paper, you know, however many trees and this is so much better for the environment. And then you walk out onto the gym floor and they have paper towel rolls mm -hmm. all over the place for people to clean the equipment. And you're like, yep. well, <laughs> there, there goes that effect. It'd be, it'd be interesting if you could, I don't know how to phrase this, if people could opt in to work. You know, like imagine, imagine it was almost like a. <laughs> I would not. <laughs> if I could get paid and no, not no, work. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, I'm down. What I mean is, imagine, imagine a, a product leader had an idea for something to work on, and they had to sell oh. engineers on it and be like, "Hey, this is my idea. This is why I think it's a valuable the valve thing. model. Like, who wants to come work on it with me? Like, let's go do this." And then, so that was what model. Uh, I said the Valve model. So there's a, a video game company called Valve. They make Steam and like they were Half-Life Half -Life oh, okay. was sort of their breakout thing. And that's the way that their business worked was somebody got an idea for a game and they would just try to get people from the company to come work with them on it. And that oh, was it. Like you weren't assigned to a project. You were, I don't know if they still operate this way. It was a long time ago that I read about that, but you, you weren't assigned to work on a product you picked and you picked what part of it you wanted to work on. That's super interesting. Hmm. I don't know anything about video games. Is Valve a 
like a big company? Like, are they a famous company? Are they still around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steam is like, so So when, when games kind of like age out, everything winds up on Steam and you can get them for pretty gotcha, cheap. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So Steam is sort of the place to get new games on on like Windows. Okay. It, yeah. And, you know, they support Mac and Linux, but the 90, you know, the 99% of gamers are on Windows and that's sort of the marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not have that discussion. <laughs> another, another show. So, okay, let's, let's circle back to disagree and commit. And I think that, so I read the Wikipedia article because everything has a Wikipedia article. Really? And the, the thing that stood out to me about the concept or the management principle, as Wikipedia puts it, of disagree and commit is that it is a way of avoiding the consensus trap, right? So instead of like, if people disagreeing would keep things from getting done, then that's a problem. Right. So at some point you just have to say like, you know, in jury deliberation, right. Mm-hmm. At some point you just have to say, well, we're a hung jury. We can't mm-hmm. come to a decision or, or whatever. Like inaction is worse than doing something that you disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite of it's, action is inaction then. Right. As <laughs> it's, it's so at our company, how we deal with that. So I talked about our strategy sessions. So prior to going into a strategy session, what you do what we do is, so we, we meet with our individual teams, right? And say, all right, because you have a preparation period of, like, all right, here's what we're going to go into the strategy session and say, here's what we're working on next year. Here's the goals. And you kind of collaboratively build that with your team, right? So all your developers, your marketers, your sales team, everyone as a team says, all right, here's what you as you know, director of the company need to go in and say, here's what we're going to deliver here's what we're going to present, right? And so you go in and you present that, you're going to get feedback from it. Hopefully people accept it. If they don't, if there's some pushback, now you have to go back to your team and say, all right, so they agreed with this, this, and this. They totally disagreed with this and here's why. And then you explain why. And hopefully you can like come up with some compromise uh, on the things that are disagreed on. But I, I feel that people don't necessarily need to get exactly what they want they just need to know that they had input mm-hmm. into what was decided rather than being dictated down to people hate that people do not like being told here's what you're doing and i'm not going to tell you why they want to say here's what i want to do right and you kind of build all those here's what i want to do and you can say all right we can do 90 percent of what you all said you wanted to do this 10 percent, we're gonna to have to do it somewhat differently or we're not going to do it at all right now and that is a lot more palatable to a person than being dictated to. I totally see that. Absolutely. Cause I, cause I think it kind of goes back to that feeling of powerlessness is what drives burnout. It, you know, if you can feel like yep. you had some degree of contribution in steering something or, or, you know, developing something, then I, I think that really goes a long way. And uh, from, from experience, a lot of times, a lot of people don't even really know what they mm. want to do. They'll go come into a strategy session and say, I don't know, you know, and they'll hear something go, okay, I agree with that. Or like, they, or they don't contribute anything. And then when you come out later with, all right, here's what we're doing for next year. And they're like, maybe for some, I don't know, they just weren't present. You're like, we had complete opportunity to say that during our strategy session where, you know, we were building the strategy. So you didn't bring it up, but maybe next year, just be a little more aware. Because, you know, sometimes people just aren't there. There's stuff going on in their life. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they just don't bring stuff up. So as long as they know there's a venue for it, I think that's that means the most. This reminds me of a quote, Word. only very, very lightly related. And I've, and I've tried to Google this in the past, and I can't figure out who said it. But the quote is, people don't mind being used as long as they aren't forgotten. And I, and I think it, mm-hmm. it, it there's there's something in my tum-tum where I totally get that. It's It's this idea that, as long as you're acknowledged, and this goes back to my love languages, you know, my love languages compliments and not being forgotten is kind of a compliment in and of itself. And and there's something so powerful about that, that you, you can subject yourself to more negative things if there's, if there's an underbelly of, of positivity and of recognition. Yeah. Yeah. And when sure. you're told to just toe the line, it almost feels like someone has forgotten your humanity. That they're just asking you to cast aside yeah. 
your feelings and your in your thinking on the topic and just do what you're told. You know, they they forgot your individuality. Yeah. Beatings will continue until morale improves. Is <laughs> 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 never a good philosophy. So you know what? I agree now. Let's commit. <laughs> well, so it's funny you should say that. I w- I wanted to end on this line. So the guy who kind of coined the phrase "disagree and commit" it was actually part of a larger phrase. I think that'd be a, a nice way to to wrap up the show here. It was Scott McNeely, who you may know from Sun Microsystems, an old school mm-hmm. computer company. Old His line school. was "Agree and commit, disagree and commit, or get out of the way." Mm. I like it <laughs> for sure. For sure. Cool. If you're, if you're apathetic, you really don't have any dog in the game. So, All right. Well, this episode of Working Code is brought to you by the opposite of supporters, which, as you know, is indifference <laughs> and listeners like you. If you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and hopefully I can get my microphone situation fixed, and I may dip into the, the war chest from our patrons. So thank you guys for that. So... Of course, thank you guys so much. Uh, and of course, a special thanks to our top patrons, Monty, Gavin, and Sean. If you want to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod. I actually knew this week, John with no H. John, welcome to the team. Glad to have you. Hey. <laughs> and uh, of course, as usual, your homework this week, we're doing an AMA, Ask Us Anything, as part of our upcoming 100th episode Spicetacular where we will be eating spicy food to the point of pain and probably vomiting and, <laughs> and answering your questions. So you can find the the link for that in the show notes or on our website, workingcode.dev. And of course, as usual, you can join our Discord, workingcode.dev slash Discord. We'll get you there. Send us your topics and questions at workingcodepod on Twitter or Instagram. Email us at workingcodepod at gmail.com. Voice memos are quite welcome there as well. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, Remember, your heart matters, but especially you, Ben. (laughs) Thank you for that. You're welcome. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.